Tried to get it in front of the back end, scores! Matthews! Marner from behind the net, got it just into the goal crease. And Big Pappy just took it on the forehand, said thank you very much, tucked it to the backhand, and it's two to one. Um, obviously this franchise has been along for a very long time. There's been some unbelievable players come through here, so um, to tie and have your name with some of the greats um, just shows the work and effort that he's put in throughout his summers and um, you know, really just the dedication he's put in his whole life to be the great hockey player yet. Obviously, it's it's nice to be mentioned with some of the greats uh, that have come before us that have worn a Maple Leafs jersey. Um, but in the end, like we're trying to all accomplish the same goal, which is to win uh, win a championship together. So um, that's really the mindset. I think the uh, the other stuff is just kind of uh, a cherry on top. But I think the main focus is obviously uh, where it is. Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9 in the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Maple Leafs losing in overtime 4-3 on Long Island yesterday, but not before Austin Matthews scored a couple of goals, giving them 33 this season. And in Leafs history, moving into a tie for fourth. Ron Ellis. Goal scoring with Ron Ellis, 332. And as I rightly pointed out prior to even those two goals that, yeah, I mean, you end up with 61 this year, which is like, pfft. You would really have to drop off to end up with 61 this season. That would mean just a, a, a pittance of a 60-goal season next year, and, and he's already at Matt Sundin's 420, the franchise record, in his ninth season. He's in his eighth season. He's passing Ron Ellis. Um, yeah, in his ninth season, he could be the, the franchise's all-time leading goal scorer. I laid it out yesterday, but, you know, Sundin just shy of 1,000 games. Sittler just shy of 900. Every other guy, including Ron Ellis, who he tied yesterday, is above a thousand games played as a leaf. Matthews played his 519th yesterday. It is truly remarkable. We talk about it all the time, but when you put the numbers that starkly, it really, really does hammer it home. And, you know, people can do errors and sure there's some mm. of that at play, but not with this guy. He's just as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. Even compared to his peers, he's the best goal scorer since did he you stepped see the, out of the national hockey. Yeah. Did you see the board they flashed? Do you see the board they flashed in the game last night that, you know, we all know it's like most goals since he came into the league. It was the most multi-goal games since he came into the league. I forget if he had 70 or 60, but Ovechkin had 10 less than him. And then I think it was like Pasternak who was beneath him. And he was like five or six beneath Ovechkin. Like Matthews doesn't only score consistently, but he scores in bunches as well. It's, it's just, we're, we are so lucky to get to see it night in and night out. And yeah. somehow we haven't really talked about that much today. No, we haven't. I know they lost. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, and, and this whole era of Leafs, young superstars, and then John Tavares is going to be, or at this point in the proceedings has been painted with the yeah, but right. Like mm -hmm. there's always the yeah, but even after they won a, a round for the first time in this era last season in six games over the Tampa Bay lightning. And I just talked about Vladimir Guerrero jr. And the pending decision that is upcoming with him. And then Bo Bichette, both of them mm -hmm. headed towards free agency, at the conclusion of not this year, but next year. And the possibility that that era ends without even a single postseason game victory, right? Haven't gotten one yet. And their best shot in 2021, they, did, they missed the playoffs by a single game. At least you're going to have, and this is barring them letting Mitch Marner walk for nothing at the conclusion of next season. I don't envision that. Yeah, happening. I doubt that happens. I don't think that's going to happen. No matter what happens the postseason here, like you've made your bed and you are going to lie in it. Mm -hmm. and, and it's hard to argue with the regular season success. And it's hard to, I mean, 
yeah, they haven't been successful in the postseason, but it's not like they're getting blown out in all these games. There's mm-hmm. How many winner-take-all games can you lose consecutively? Seemingly all of them. I was going to say, just ask the Leafs. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand continuing to double down on it. But, yeah, it, this thing is going to continue way. Like, I, I think there's been a parallel drawn between this era of Blue Jays, young superstardom, and the projections that many had for the Vlad and Bo Blue Jays and how many World Series would they win. And the same thing with the Leafs, that you've got this number one overall pick, greatest goal scorer in the league, one of the the best assist men in the league, and Mitch Marner and a guy who's also a top 10 pick, and William Nylander, who's emerging as a 100-point guy uh, himself, at least scored 40 goals last season. And has emerged as an $11.5 million guy. <laughs> yeah. Can't, can't paper over that. Well, that this thing is not, it's not about to stop, right? Like, that there's no... There is an urgency every year to win a Stanley Cup, but like, hey, if it doesn't happen this year, like you always have next year or the year after that or the year after that or the year after that until they get into their 30s. It's it's a different feeling around the Leafs than it is around the Blue Jays who like, hey, if they are not in a playoff position at the trade deadline this year, like Vlad and Bo could be traded this year. And at least you don't have that sort of Damocles holding or hanging over your head if you're a Leaf fan. No, you don't. But we thought it was like, you know, we don't need to relitigate the offseason for the 800,000th time. But if it was a different course of action, it's entirely possible it's a different roster you're looking at now. Just with the timeline that you're living had to work with, you were never going to make a trade as massive as one for a Nylander or a Marner. And, you know, and nobody thinks Matthews was, was getting moved. But you were never going to make that trade in that time. So I would argue that the die was cast once all the no trades kicked in. And I suppose you could say you had your wiggle room until you paid Mm. Nylander, but I don't think you did because we've heard the conversation about what you could have got for Nylander and as a team from a team that would have had to hope they could sign him and all of that. So I think that we say it now because the Nylander contract has been inked. And I suppose that is one more kind of check to why this is all locked in. But I think it was locked in. It's crazy to say. I think it was locked in once they made the GM change. Yeah, uh, it was. And who knows what what Kyle Dubas was referencing when he said, like, ah, maybe like a rethinking of of my philosophy. You know, we never got to see that thing play out. Well, I think I I I think the rethinking of his philosophy is what we saw at the deadline last year. Like that, those moves he made. It's not like he hadn't gone out and got a Brian Boyle type before, but loading up with your Acharis and your O'Reillys and those are just different kind of players than we had seen. So I did think we saw a bit of a changing of philosophy. But to your point, I guess we'll we'll never know. We'll never know. All right, let's uh, talk to our insider, who was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider. Former Jack Adams Award winner Bruce Boudreau. How's it going, Gabby? It's going good. Uh, it's going good. So we, we just saw Austin Matthews tie Ron Ellis for fourth in uh, Toronto Maple Leafs franchise history with 332 goals. Has a chance to to pass Matt Sundin as early as as next season. We know you you were you grew up as a as a Leaf fan and you're well aware of of Leafs history. What do you think when you see you know Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? passing Frank Mahovlich for seventh all-time in, in points uh, in franchise history. What, what do you think when you, you see those guys compared to the all-time franchise greats? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is already. Like, I mean, right. mm-hmm. uh, when, you're, when you're growing up and Frank Mahovlich, Ron Ellis, all of these guys are guys you seem to watch forever. And uh, actually... I'm watching Ron Ellis, and then the next thing I know, I'm his centerman. So I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it, it it was it was pretty 
pretty wild at that point. But, I mean, Frank Mahovlich was my favorite player growing up, and um, it seemed like you only think of him as a Leaf. Now, Austin Matthews has been there seven years. Like, I mean, uh, it's it's a, quite a difference in how many uh, goals he's scored and and how he's doing it, and it's a, you know, what has he got? Every every year he's got at least thirty goals. So I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be the Leafs' all-time leading scorer. And then uh, there's unless something really bad happens, and I'm really praying that something doesn't. Yeah, I think uh, I think we all are. I think we're also well. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I won't speak for you, but I think I can. I think we're all praying the really good thing eventually happens. Uh, maybe with a big shiny mug uh, at the end of the road for for this group. You know, the we've talked about it, and again, like we've we've had these conversations with you in terms of teams that have bumped their head up against the wall, and they've had their chances, and they've had their chances. How important is it, do you think, to have a little bit of a different feel with your team every year? I mean, again, the core is the core, and that isn't changing, so it's always going to have someone of a similar feel but you know we go back to the Dubas teams they were a little bit different in terms of the mix in the bottom six and even this year it's been kind of completely overhauled with your Domies and and Bertuzzi's and McMahon even even getting a sniff now how important is it for a team that has a locked in core to make sure to be changing some of those pieces around the fringes and not just to try to find the right mix but to make sure things don't get too too comfortable too safe too too easy for lack of a better term maybe well, I think over every summer, um, when the team comes back to camp, uh, they have to feel that they've gotten better and they've gotten closer to that step. And whether it's because the the core or the best players have gotten another year older and are becoming more in their prime, or uh, whether they make additions to to the net defending or the bottom six. I think the biggest thing is they have to think that, okay, we're a better team this year than we were last year. And if they do that and then they start thinking, well, this is how far we got last year and we think we're better, we can go further this year. And that drives the team and that drives the individuals as well. So, I mean, uh, if if the Leafs think they're better than last year in all situations, and, I mean, uh, look at you look at William Nylander, he's better than last year, even yeah. though he was great last year. I mean, Austin Matthews is better than last year. Uh, you know, I mean, Tavares and, and Marner are going about the same clip. Maybe Marner's a little less uh, than he was point-wise last year. But i, I got to believe that they think, hey, this is the year that we've got the chance. But, you know, they've still got that big elephant in the room is they uh, that they've had the last few years is, they don't know if their goaltending is going to hold up, and that's the question everybody in the Toronto area is asking. What is what are we going to do at the trade deadline? Do we need another goalie? Is Joseph Wall going to be ready, and and is he going to be able to carry the ball? Because I don't think you know as well as he's played. I don't think anybody thinks that uh, Martin Jones is the guy, and. and uh, um, and I don't think right now their their jury is still out on Samsonov. So I mean, uh, to me, it's it's all about the Leafs' goaltending. If they can get it, they've got a good chance of winning. Yeah, and and we'll see what Joseph Wall is um, in in brief uh, entree into the NHL. He's looked pretty darn good, including in the postseason when he was forced into duty with a Samsonov injury. And this weekend, there's a big decision upcoming as far as 
who gets to start in either the first half of that back-to-backs or the back halves, or if you do the Martin Jones starting both games again, they're both at home against Colorado and Detroit. He's He just turned 34, which is not like 44, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's he's not a young pup anymore, and he's your meal ticket at the moment. You can't afford to lose him due to injury. What do you think goes into the decision-making this weekend for uh, Sheldon Keefe as to who to start either in both games, either game, considering Ilya Samsonov feels like a fragile character at the moment? Yeah, you know what? I think they call him back up to give him another shot. And uh, uh, which game he's going to start in, I don't know. And uh, uh, I don't know what is, you know, like sometimes it's like a starting pitcher. You look at uh, who they've played against and how they've done. Um, individuals, players, uh, if, they, if they've had success against one team, they can't wait to play that team. But, I mean, I don't think Martin Jones is going to start both games. I think that would be a little bit of a kick uh, to Samsonoff. If you if you sent him down to the minors and he's gone there and and now you're calling him up and he's and he's up now. I don't know if he's sulking or anything out of those things because I'm not around. But I mean, if he's practicing hard and ready to go, I got to believe he's going to play in one game because in the end, in the end, you would want Samsonoff to be the goalie rather than Martin Jones. I mean. Financially, it makes sense. Uh, uh, you, what are you going to do with three goalies? You got to move one. One's making in the millions. Martin Jones isn't making that much, so uh, it's you've got to see if Samsonov can do it. He did it last year for a good length of the time, um, so you've got to give him a chance this weekend. And you're playing two good teams. That's like <clears throat> the Leafs finally started to play uh, some teams that that it matters. I mean, playing the Islanders last night playing Detroit uh, and playing Colorado. We're not playing Anaheim and San Jose twice here. We're playing teams that have, uh, are legitimately playoff playoff teams or playoff contenders uh, right at this point that are desperate teams. So, I mean, um, we'll get a good test of just how good the Leafs are playing this weekend. What do you think is is going on with goaltending at large across the NHL? I mean, save percentage is down in a pretty big way this year compared to to years past. And, you know, part of it is some marquee guys have, you know, recently retired. They've been injured. They've had down years. But it just seems like, you know, and I don't know, I I always play this game with myself of was things were things actually better or, you know, was I just younger and and a, a little more naive? But I think back to even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it felt like half the teams in the league had a bona fide starter that you felt great about and now you know here we're having a conversation about 34 year old martin jones and maybe he's the guy heading into the playoffs for the leafs and i don't mean that as a slight to jones but it just seems like goaltending is and maybe it's just anecdotal but it feels like it's so much more of a, a crapshoot than it than it's been in years past well i think the the big thing is the style of play has changed uh, in the last five years at least i mean uh it's and and what i mean by the style of play is everybody attacks with at least four now. Before, it used to be the forwards attack. If the D can jump into the play, they, it's great. But you attack with four and five, so the scoring chances are usually way up. And <clears throat> I think the um, the offensive, when, when you're 12 and 13 years old now, and they're teaching way more offense than they were um, back in the day, even, even in the early 2000s. So, Players are developing at a younger age. They're getting, they're getting quicker, faster, and bigger. I was at uh, an ice dogs uh, ran a couple ice dog practices before the Spangler Cup, 
And I was amazed at the 16. They got four 16-year-olds on their team and how how big they are, how fast they are, and how they can shoot. So the development of players offensively is so much greater than it used to be a generation ago. And But I, I believe the, the style of play now, if you watch with the Kale McCars in the league and the Adam Fox and, and Morgan Riley, you never see um, just three guys coming up the ice. It's four and five. So it's so much harder to defend. And uh, uh, the, the great ones that I like, I mean, what I like watching – is when the Leafs pull the goalie because they're the best at the league in the league at that and and they they just attack the net with four and five guys and the numbers are are there and the goalies can be good they can stop that first shot they can, the defenders can take one guy out but there's always that extra guy and the Leafs are so good at scoring a goal when they pull the goalie so it's but I think that's that's the main reason to me is players are bigger better stronger the style of play has changed, and the goalies haven't gotten worse. It's the players have gotten better. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very point, fair point, and that's well said. Uh, you know, I don't really have a hard and fast question to ask you, but I, I'm talking to you, and you are one style of coach, and I've been thinking a lot about John Tortorella, and I think maybe, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like he's a very different kind of coach than you. You know, it seemed like last year the worm was turning in Philly a little bit. They had the rough start to a year, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't want to give him all the credit. Obviously, the players deserve a ton of it, but I'm not taking any away from him. You know, what have you made of the job Tortorella's done in Philly? And is it just kind of proof positive that different coaches can work for different teams? I mean, we've seen players coaches exist. We've seen guys like Torts, and obviously, you know, there's there's some room in, in the middle there. What are you made of the job Torts has, has done in Philly this year? Well, I think he's done a fabulous job. If we were to nominate um, a Jack Adams guys now, if you could nominate three or four of them, I mean, to me, Torts would be one. Rick Tockett would be one. Uh, Rick Bonus would be one. They've all done great jobs, and and he's not much different than me. He's a little more stubborn, I think, than me. Mm. But uh, we we both preach the same things. I mean, blocking shots, uh, playing the two hundred foot game, coming back, and, and like I mean, he speaks his mind. And uh, the one thing his reputation precedes precedes him is you know that it's going to be tough if you're going to Philadelphia. You better play the right way, and if you don't play the right way, he's very adept at. And it doesn't matter who you are; he's going to sit out, sit you out. Um, and I think that's what they're trying to do in in Columbus, where Torch was. But Pascal Vincent doesn't have the cachet that Torch has. When Torch says something, people know he's done it over time and he's over over history. And you know, like I mean, so it's uh, uh, it's getting done. And uh, I think people respect that. And it's the same t- same thing, though that. All coaches have shelf lives. I mean, he's been a great coach everywhere he's gone, but, I mean, he's been on a lot of teams too. So, I mean, um, but I, I, I would I would go to bat for him all the time because I love watching his teams play. I love watching how he, there's no show. He's just – he is who he is, and he doesn't pretend to be anybody else. And uh, that's a great thing about him. Yeah. No, I'm sure that that is him, but yeah, I, I would call his press conferences a show. Like it, it's very entertaining for me. Like I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to yeah, be. They're entertaining. <laughs> yeah. They're they're entertaining, but he's saying what uh, uh, other people think. Like this last one. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, great. He's protecting players. He's yeah. protecting 
his teammates, and he doesn't care who's in there. And I mean, and that guy deserved to be called out. That reporter. I wish, uh, I wish more people would do that. I wish it was allowed to to mm-hmm. call out reporters for asking dumb questions. Boy, we'd be all the coaches would be having a field day at what that if, point. Hey, hey, what what are you trying to say about our questions, Gabby? I thought thought we asked some pretty good ones today. Not you guys. Oh, okay. Nobody from Toronto. Oh, has definitely that not. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bruce, always a pleasure. You know what? I've, many times I've just, they've asked me a question and I've just stared at them. Yes. And just like, and are you kidding me? You're asking me that? Like, I mean, and then you try to, uh, you try to say the right words so you don't get in trouble. Mm. I mean, the one time I, the one time I did, I got asked the question, uh, um, was that a penalty or something? And, it was a playoff game, and I said, well, the refs saw it. They just decided not to call it. And I got the call the next morning that that's going to cost 5000 bucks. Mm. And I and I was so mad because I thought, I knew what, right. they, what they were trying to get me to do, and I still thought I answered the question really good. So, I mean, <clears throat> but much to my surprise, uh, and here's the best part about it. I love Coley, but, I mean, uh, when they said that's going to cost you five thousand dollars, and I, two days later they they phoned me back the NHL and they said, "Have you sent the check in?" Like I mean, I'm going, "Hold, hold on here!" So, like I mean, it was a weekend. Give me a break. Wait a but, second. Uh, that that's not taken off your pay. You actually have to send in a physical amazing. check. I, like in a, in I the... had to send in. I I had to send in a personal check. And oh, God. that I, makes it so I, much it worse. That I was Way upset, worse. but. Pardon me? And that makes it way worse that it's, I mean, it's one lump sum and that it's actually, you know, you're sending a check as opposed to, you know, maybe it just coming off a, a couple of paychecks. I don't know. That, that for, for some reason, that just feels way worse than, than I imagined it would have been. Well, you know what? And I don't know. I, I, obviously, I'm not privy to uh, um, what other people do when they say, well, that guy got fined $100,000 or this mm-hmm. guy got, the team gets fined $2 million or, or whatever that. I don't know how they... Did all I know is I got a call two days later and said, "Have you sent the check yet?" And I was okay. I mean, I was laughing on the phone, but my wife was livid. Oh, yeah. There's five thousand dollars. She said that you just opened your mouth. So shut up, she told me. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Raptors head coach Darko Royakovich the other day. He got slapped at the $30,000 fine is what he had to to pay. Uh, What did I say? I said, oh, sorry, $25,000 fine uh, uh, for uh, Darko Royakovich for his Yeah, you charged him a whole extra Boudreaux fine. (laughs) Right. I mean, I, I assume that was like the standardized fine for criticizing the officials. When you received that fine, did you not think, man, I, I wish I'd gone a little harder? Uh, no, but I would have liked the receipt for tax purposes. Right. Um, but I mean, and what Darko said, I thought he was going to get fined much more. Yeah, me too. He was. He came right after them and basically called them cheaters. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, all I said, and think about it, the referees, they see everything. They decide to call a penalty or they decide not to call a penalty. And all I said was, they saw it. They just decided not to call it. But, I mean, I'd been warned about 17 times before, so I think it was about time I got one.
Yeah, I, it doesn't ha- matter how much you make. Like five grand is five grand. That's 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 no joke. And uh, it's not my money, yeah. but that story alone was worth five thousand dollars of your money to me, Gabby. <laughs> just so you know. Uh, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, thanks, thanks, uh, Bruce. Appreciate it. Checks in the mail, though. Uh, th- thanks okay, for doing this today. In the mail, yeah. <laughs> okay, you. thanks, guys. <laughs> See you, man. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, former Jack Adams Award winner, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yeah, I, I mean, in thinking about that interview, I, I didn't think about the Darko Ryakovich of it all and, and no. posing it to Bruce Boudreaux, but that was... Obviously, yeah, obviously, yeah. Well, where but, we should have gone. Well, I didn't know if he was going to go full hockey man on us. Sheldon Keefe got asked about. It. It's like I heard a coach was mad. I never, I never know what you're talking about. Uh, Gabby's no, plugged in. Not. Yeah, he is. I He's love it. a fan of sports in this city. Sport, like, sport fan. Yeah, I mean wrestling. We know. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> and certainly Leafs history. Mm-hmm. And and the Toronto Maple Leafs in general, but no, this is a guy from the region and good serendipity to get the centerman of Ron Ellis, who Austin Matthews tied last night for goals. Just kind of worked out well in in our favor there. Yeah, and Frank Mahovlich's favorite Leaf, who has been surpassed by Mitch Marner for seventh in all time point scoring by a Leaf player. Uh, ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All Star Game this year. We'll be giving away family four packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word in episodes of the Fan Morning Show today until January 26th and text it to 59590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is Sportsnet. Our next code word will be in Monday's episode. However, tickets of the Fanfare also available for purchase at NHL.com slash Fanfare while supplies last. Who knows? Maybe... Morgan Riley will be on the ice uh, representing the Toronto Maple Leafs for the first time in an all-star game. Uh, voting is closed, by the way. If you, if you wanted one last push for Morgan Riley, you missed your opportunity. You, you, you failed him. You messed you up. You failed Mo. If he doesn't get in, it's your fault. All right. When we come back, what's to become of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the coming weeks after not coming to a one-year contract agreement with the Toronto Blue Jays before the arbitration deadline. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith, the At The Letters podcast next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. So, yeah, Vlad... He, uh, mm. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. does not yet have a contract for this upcoming season. He's under team control, and yeah, worst comes to worst, they'll go to arbitration, and he'll accept whatever number he's handed, which will not be a pittance. It'll be shy of $20 million. By the way, Juan Soto, um, he came to an agreement with the New York Yankees, his final year of uh, team control, final year of arbitration, $31 million before he hits free agency. Speaking of the Yankees, they also signed a notable former Blue Jay, Marcus Stroman to a multi-year deal. So mm-hmm. expect some uh, spicy fireworks in the the starts started by Stroman against uh, his former team, the Blue Jays. Let's talk uh, about all things baseball with our next guest, Ben Nicholson-Smith of the At The Letters podcast and Sportsnet's and uh, Sportsnet.ca. How's it going, buddy? Hey, guys. Good morning. How's it going? Going very well. Um, so let's just like start this in broad terms. How would you describe the relationship between Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the Toronto Blue Jays? Honestly, I think it's fine. And uh, this might be a little bit surprising because I understand that there's an impulse 
um, you know, to, to really dig in when people see that there's an exchange of arbitration numbers and that this is now almost certainly going to a hearing. Um, but this is part of the process. Uh, I, I think that Vlad Jr. Has, has obviously, he was frustrated by the way he performed at times in 2023. Um, the Blue Jays clearly know there's more in there. Um, but the Blue Jays are going to depend on Vlad Jr. And I don't think that there's a lot of animosity here. Um, I, I think that this is just part of the process. Not yet. I mean, they haven't gotten in the room yet. Wait till they get in the room. I've heard it's nasty in well, there. Well, I saw, and I know, okay, maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth, and I'll let you speak, and I'll let you respond here. I, I've been of the belief that, like, hey, everyone's professional. Everybody understands the parameters of this thing. It's not, it's not personal. It's business. But you see time and time again, I mean, there's the Corbin Burns stuff. There's... Yeah, there, there have been instances, and obviously the, the Blue Jays felt like an impetus to, to avoid the room with Bo Bichette last season, agreeing to a multi-year extension with him. I, I don't put it at a nothing, Ben. Like, what, what should I put it at? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, if you're going to an arbitration hearing, then the Blue Jays are going to have to make the case that Vlad Jr. does not deserve the raise that he is seeking, and vice versa. The Vlad Jr. will have to make the case that he does deserve it. So, there is the potential that things can get uh, a little personal there. The intention is not for this process to be personal, but it can certainly be taken that way. And, you know, you mentioned Marcus Stroman. That was, you know, we, we remember his hearings. Yep. And, and, you know, certainly there, there are lots of other players where depending on your personality and depending on how things unfold in that room, it can be really hard to separate this process from um, you as a, as a person because players put so much into this. This is, you know, this is not a, a like any other profession. They put so much into this, and Vlad Jr. did not have the results last year, but he put tons and tons of work, and he took the field when he was way less than 100%, battling physical ailments, trying to get through it. And then to go through a season like that, face the disappointment that the Blue Jays did and that he did personally, and then have the Blue Jays say, hey, you know, this is, you know, we, we don't think you deserve this amount of money. Um, you know, it's, it wouldn't be a good feeling, but at the same time, um, you know, I think that a reasonable baseball person would advise Vlad Jr. or would advise any player in this situation, you know what, this is part of the process. It doesn't mean the Blue Jays don't want you because the Blue Jays clearly do want Vlad Jr. and they want him to be doing well. But this is one of those moments where players and teams are directly at odds with one another. Yeah, it's certainly that way. I mean, I guess the the rosy side of the picture is that they're and you know, and typically arbitration figures aren't this far apart, but they're not they're not five million dollars apart. It's a, a mill and change here. So I think there's some there. You know, it could be more contentious, but also certainly the possibility for you know hurt feelings. We've seen it in all sports uh, when you when you come out of the the room. You know, in terms of the window that the Blue Jays kind of operate in, there's many ways you can look at it. You can look at it at the, as the Vlad and Bo window. You could look at it at Gosman's contract. I don't know. Maybe you look at it as, as Barrios contract. Obviously this Blue Jays team wants to build a consistent winner that looks something like the Dodgers a much more than teams that kind of peak and then, you know, need to rebuild. They want to build a consistent winner here, but what do you look at as the Blue Jays winning window? Is it as simple as the two years Vlad and Bo are for sure here? Is it Gosman? What, what do you look at? Well, I've always thought that it makes a lot of sense to look at these next two years as, you know, if not the the end of the window, then, you know, potentially the end of a significant, I don't know if you want to say era, but time period in, in Blue Jays history, because 
Bo and Vlad obviously came up at the same time. Um, you linked for so many reasons and such good players. We've seen how good they can be. I mean, the hype um, was justified when it comes to at least how good these guys can be when they're at their best. Um, it's certainly not like they kind of flamed out into nothingness. So I've always thought that the next two years, really, you know, this year and next year, makes sense as, as a way to look at things. And I, I still think that that's the case because as things stand right now, it's very hard to imagine that Vlad Jr. is going to sign an extension, you know, especially this offseason. Who knows what happens a year from now. But let's say for this offseason, I think pretty safe to say this is going to be a year-to-year process. We're not going to see a long-term extension for Vladdy this winter. And with Bo as well, it would be an, un- an unconventional time to lock him up. He's only two years away right now. These guys literally have free agency next years in late 2025. They're getting pretty close. So it's becoming more likely that they're going to probably hit free agency. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You can have great players hit free agency and re-sign them. You can have great things happen on the field in the next two years. Or you can let them go, and you can decide to go in a different direction. But whatever that outcome is, and we're a long way from the Blue Jays having to make that call, there's not pressure to figure out an answer right now. It's okay to let that play out. But whatever that answer is, things will probably look a lot different in two years in, in one direction or another. I, I agree with everything you're saying there. And the track record of these players is, is very different. Although the high end Vladdy has proven able to match the guy I'm about to reference here. Do you think the fact that the Padres were able to make the Juan Soto trade, they were able to make with him having one year left of control and, you know, a somewhat limited market because of the, the Otani of, of this whole off season. Do you think that gives the blue Jays a little more, again, I don't think I'm with you. I don't think their plan is to trade Vladdy next winter, but do you think it gives them a little more, optimism to not having to figure this thing out hard and fast this year, seeing the return that the Padres were able to get for Soto. And again, I understand that Vladdy doesn't have the track record there, but if you look at the high end of what he's proven capable of, it's not that far off from what Soto's done. It's so interesting because I think if Vladdy performs at the high end of what he can do, I almost think that there's no chance to chase trade him because I think that, you know, at that point, like, let's say he goes out and he has a six-win season. He hits 35 homers. His OPS is 9-15. You know, plays every day. That would be a monster season, and, and everyone would be so happy with that. And I think if that happens, Jays are probably in the playoffs, and they're, they're probably in a position to make some real noise in the playoffs. And maybe the conversation is really different around this team. Didn't make it in 2021 when he was better than that, though. Yeah, and, and there's no guarantee, of course, right? Like a lot of things could go wrong. They could, they, he could, he could have a monster season. And they could win 74 games. Like who knows? Baseball's weird. You, you guys know that too. But you know, it's. I think that if he does, then they're at least like in a good position to to make some noise. And then I think you hold on to him. Um, and but but you're right. I, I do think though that Soto probably is in a different tier in that he has more consistently been an elite player. Yeah. And unfortunately for Vladdy. Like we saw him come up with Soto and Acuna and Tatis, and he just hasn't quite been at that level of those players. And he's been there occasionally, but not consistently. And so that's one of the things in arbitration. Soto, who's a year ahead of Vladdy, as you said, he would have been a comp because he got a raise of 5.9 million last year. And that would have been a comp for Vladdy, but both the Blue Jays and Vlad Jr. agree that Soto and what he did was at a level that was ahead of what Vlad Jr. did. Yeah, he has done it before, though, second in MVP voting in that 2021 
uh, season in which they missed the playoffs by a single game. Man, what a team that was, especially offensively with, with um, yeah, Marcus Semien and yada, 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 yada. Um, I, I do want to go back to the arbitration thing and comparing his situation to Bovichet's from a year ago because they exchanged numbers, uh, the Blue Jays and Bo did last season, didn't go to a hearing. Like at the last possible second, it felt like I think they 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 came together on a three-year extension that carried him all the way through his arbitration eligible years. There's only two years for, for Vladdy, but like, yeah, it was shocking when you're like, actually next year, you're like, oh yeah, it's 2024. It's like, we're one year away uh, in 2025. Uh, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is is going to be a free agent, but I mean, how different are the scenarios? Do you do you completely discount the possibility that the Blue Jays and Vlad come together on a two year deal to cover his arbitration years? You never know, but here's why I think it's really unlikely. I just think that if you're the Blue Jays, what's the incentive at this point to to do a two year deal? Because be nice, like planning- come together and like make sure the relationship doesn't get fractured. Yeah, well, I think you've got to have some confidence in a your own people in that room. Not like if if you have if if you've built a relationship in six or seven years, and you say something so toxic in an arbitration hearing room that it can destroy that relationship. Who is in that room, and what are they saying? Like, I I think that you know this is a relationship that unfolds daily between Vlad Jr. and the Blue Jays since when did he sign? Two thousand fifteen. Anthopoulos signed him, right? So. Yeah. This is the ninth year of that relationship. It, I, I just I, this is where I think that sometimes this stuff gets overblown. Not that not that one remark can't undermine a relationship of any kind at any point. You know, if you say the wrong thing, but there's nine. This is the ninth year of that relationship. I just don't think that you know. Let's say it's some one of their assistant GMs or di- director of baseball ops goes in there and says, you know what, Vlad Jr. actually had a two war season and Juan Soto had five and a half war. Is Vladdy going to turn around and just pout at that point? Like, he's more professional than that. I think that we should give him some more credit. I don't know. What if they just show him getting picked off at second base on a continuous loop for, like, 30 minutes? Like, I don't know. That would, that, yeah. <laughs> that would be bad. Your Honor! And just point to the screen. <laughs> and he, every, every time he tries to talk, you just point again. Yeah. But it, just the last thing on that is, like, I think for, for Vlad Jr., we probably should give him some credit for his professionalism here. And I just think he's a pretty chill guy. He doesn't, he doesn't walk around holding grudges. Unlike some people who maybe pitch for the Yankees now, like (laughs) he does not, he's, he's actually pretty chill. And that's not to say I can't predict the future. Maybe something horrible will happen in that arbitration (laughs) room, but I just don't see this undermining this whole relationship. Yeah. I, I, I'm generally of that belief. I, I got to say the last couple of years I've been pushed off it a little bit because you hear more and more stories that come out of that room and also, you know, the evidence of this team being and and they the, part of it is that there was a number to be that 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 Bichette and the Blue Jays felt comfortable in and and maybe that just that number doesn't exist, but it did feel like there was an impetus on the Blue Jays part to make sure that they stayed away from that room and maybe we are there's a personality thing there too cuz like if I was going to guess who would who would hold more of a grudge about an arbitration hearing Bobichet or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I would probably lean uh to the Bobichet of it. Also, I don't know like what is the history of, of teams taking a player to arbitration and then ever signing them again, like like them remaining a part of that organization beyond their years of team control. I, I, I'm putting you on the spot. Like, I, I, that would be quite a piece of information for you to have at your fingertips. Maybe, you know, an idea for you to, to, to write an article about <laughs> yeah. in the coming days on sportsnet.ca. I'm just saying that this organization also 
and correct me if I'm wrong here, felt an impetus to make sure that they stayed out of that room with Bo Bichette. I just, and so, to me, they feel like there is at least some negative that, that can come out of that thing. Yes, for sure. And I think each situation is different and each relationship is different. And with Bo Bichette, too, he had a history of, you know, uh, taking the renewal, which not to get too into the weeds, um, I know you know this, Ben, but yeah. the renewal is basically just handed the, the salary that the team sort of decrees instead of agreeing to, to a salary um, in a mutually agreed fashion. And Bo took the renewal and he had some comments about that. And there was a little bit of just uh, some, some indications that he wasn't entirely happy with how things were unfolding there. Um, and then they reached an agreement and that seemed to put all that to rest, which is, which is a good thing for all involved. But yeah, each person is different. Um, each relationship is different. And I think that, you know, in this case, I think I don't have that information off my uh, at my fingertips, but it is an interesting. Some question. baseball nerd you are. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you this though: I, I guarantee that it's happened numerous, numerous times where players go to arbitration, one side wins, and then the relationship continues, and they sign an extension or in free agency. Just for the record, I think you're a, you're an excellent baseball nerd and a way better That's baseball fine. nerd than Ben Ennis. Just just for the record, uh, well, so no, it is not a contest. But thank you. <laughs> okay, you're right. It's absolutely no contest. Agreed. <laughs> I, you I are also okay. would agree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Danny Jansen uh, settles with the Jays five point two. This is a confounding player. I mean, he is, uh, you know, I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, but it's like he's as clutch as they come. Feels like he always comes up with the big knock, but he's also a guy who just cannot seem to stay in the lineup. Catcher offensively, I mean, it was such a talking point because of what happened in Arizona, but it was also a talking point because of the lack of production you got out of uh, Kirk and and how banged up Jansen was. Uh, What do you make of them settling on the number? And do you think it's a case where you just play this thing out and you, you roll forward with Kirk going forward or how? do you think they handle that yeah well it's definitely nice uh for danny jansen to to have that number as he goes into his final arbitration year um the jays need him no question about that there is no denying he's been clutch and he's a really big part of this team i actually think you know when you look at the future of this team beyond 2024 they're going to need catchers you know you can try to do that in free agency you're not going to find someone better than Danny Jansen. You know, it's it, it's not like there's a young JT Realmuto coming up. And you're going to, you know, go out and sign him for 150 million. Like, I, I think if you can extend Danny Jansen, it's a good idea. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what terms he he would be looking for. You could look to the Mitch Garver deal as a comp. Now, obviously, at DH more so than a catcher. But um, if you wanted to tack on a couple of years, I think that would be something worth looking at. Um, so Jansen's been really good for this team. Obviously well-liked, obviously someone who understands the pitching staff really well and gets really good results with the pitching staff. And so I think there's a strong case to be made for extending it. Uh, Before I let you go, so we're still waiting on the maybe just one more move from Ross Atkins uh, to boost this team's offense. At least closer to one than three. And so, and you were on the Jock Peterson uh, report that they're interested in in him as a left-handed hitting DH type, uh, who's pretty unplayable against left-handed pitching. There is also Jorge Soler hanging out there. He have 36 home runs from a season ago. Again, like guys you don't want uh, ever putting a glove on their hand. Well, uh, Joey Votto, it's been reported, and he, I guess, confirm, confirmed on Twitter that like at least three teams are interested in his services. Where are we on the DH bat that the Blue Jays are about to add? Seems like it's been a holding pattern for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was told a couple of weeks ago that 
the Jays did have serious interest in Jock Peterson. And my understanding is that definitely remains true. Um, at the same time, the Jays are in a position now where with those guys that you mentioned, along with J.D. Martinez, along with Reese Hoskins and some others, there's a fair amount of DHs out there and probably more DHs than there are full-time DH jobs, especially on contending teams, especially where, you know, you're talking about teams that have some real money to spend, which the Blue Jays do here. So, yeah, I think the Jays are in a position where they don't have to necessarily rush it. They've been comfortable waiting the last couple of weeks. They're going to end up with at least one player. I think they need two, um, probably one right-handed bat, one left-handed bat, ideally a pitcher too. That's probably, you know, when, once you start getting to the payroll side of things and looking at, you know, how close are they to 250, then it's like, Maybe it's maybe it's two bats. Maybe it's one bat. That's you know, if it is JD Martinez, that's a pretty expensive bat. So it might be a little limit you in other ways. But I, I think that you know you could do Jock Peterson plus find a way to add another right-handed bat, and then you have the makings of a respectable offense. But mm. you know, certainly uh, you know it, it would have limitations. Yeah, you just hope the pitching staff doesn't take a step backwards. Um, yeah, be all all. No fine way that can happen. No, no, nope. uh, it'll be fine. Anyways. Who knows? It's baseball. You never know. Uh, well done, Ben. Thank you for doing this. Anytime, guys. Thanks. See ya. There's Ben Nicholson-Smith at The Letters podcast. And, uh, Excellent baseball nerding by him. Yeah. I sat at him for poo-pooing his baseball nerding there. Nice. No, he's, he's a good baseball nerd. Oh, he doesn't have offhand the number of guys <laughs> that have gone to arbitration <laughs> hearings and then signed multi-year extensions with their teams in the aftermath of for that? For shame! That's actually totally uh, acceptable. And I know he said, I'm sure there's a lot. Like, I can bet you. Okay. Give me an example of one. Before I know you you're not so. looking, I know you're not looking at me for that because no, no, he no. couldn't. No, 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 no. no we no, do no. not expect that. From uh, you. Yeah. So the 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 Vlad Bo comparison. I think what I said is correct. Yes, yeah, like, so a thousand percent. Like Bo is going to hold that against you forever, mm-hmm. ever and ever and ever, and maybe motivate himself yeah. through means of like I'm going to show these guys not dissimilar to what Marcus Stroman did. Like I think. There's a closer parallel between Marcus Stroman and Bobichet than there is Marcus Stroman and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's just an outsider's no, perspective. I think that's super fair. I think it's more likely that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. forgets this happened by the time the season started than holds a grudge over it. Yeah, but that being said, like, I don't know. Okay, maybe there's an, maybe it's not like he's angry at you, but like maybe he's sad. Like maybe maybe mm, may, Samsonov on me. Maybe you got an Ilya Samsonov situation where it doesn't like sour you on the he he doesn't get soured on the organization but he's like oh maybe people don't believe in me like maybe like all anybody that's ever seen me or has a a connection to the Guerrero family Mm -hmm. that says I'm going to be the next great superstar and and don't worry about like some of the uneven results outside of 2021 like oh maybe there's more people than not that actually think that I'm not an elite superstar talent and maybe that bleeds into his performance next year it's possible. I I just think he doesn't get two in his head one way or another. Maybe believes the own press clippings when they when they mm. happen, but I don't know that he gets so bogged down on the other side of things. Maybe he should get into his head about you know Maybe. staying on second base. In I'd agree. Game. All right. Uh, I'd agree. So the Patriots have named a successor to Bill Belichick in, in short order. Yeah, Gerard Mayo, obviously a longtime Patriot player, has been on the staff for a while. I think it's pretty interesting because... I mean, they did not do a search. Obviously, this was all part and parcel of the plan when they parted ways with Belichick yesterday. Uh, they obviously are pretty comfortable with him in terms of what they what they have there. But uh, 
to me, this is interesting because it's a doubling down on the Patriots infrastructure. I, to me, it would have made a lot more sense to kind of go scorched earth. You're going to have a new quarterback in there. You have a chance to reset things. And they decided not to do that. And that makes me think that Robert Kraft thinks the Patriot way, as much as you all want to roll your eyes about that, has way more to do with the DNA of the Patriots than just Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And that's a wild bet to make because I remember the DNA of the Patriots before those guys existed. Mm, it's interesting. I mean, Josh McDaniels was there Felt like the successor in waiting, right? Mm-hmm. And then turns down the Colts job and then yada, 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 you know, ends up failing spectacularly yeah, so at a couple job. of different places. And yeah, there was, you know, rumors that he, he would want to hook back up with Bill Belichick. And maybe that's in another location. I wonder if there's any regret from McDaniel's part. I mean, he got paid and he got his opportunity to be in the big boy chair, but could have been him. Like he, if he was still on staff and never took any of the gigs headed yeah. his way, could have been him succeeding Belichick. As a Patriots fan, I'm just very happy that if it's going to be someone He's on exposed. staff. It, no, that it's Gerard Mayo yeah. and not uh, one of the Belichick children yeah. uh, poking around. Because they just, they make me feel uneasy, quite yeah. quite frankly. So I'm very happy that they did not go the nepotism route. Yeah. I mean, there are so many high-profile uh, candidates for jobs out yeah. there. Like... For Josh McDaniels. Like, uh, also, poor me not having Mike Vrabel hired by the Patriots. That yeah, nice. that would have been the, the obvious move there. But, okay. Yep. Uh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. The first week of NFL postseason action as well. This is the uh, Fan Morning Show. We'll be back on Monday. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Good morning. Good morning.